<laughs> wow. Wow. I'm easily amused today. Who designed that? They need to win a prize. <laughs> <laughs> What's architecture really about? Archispeak is the show that dares to peek under the architectural kimono, exposing what architecture really is, what it is that architects really do, and show you why we are passionate about our chosen profession. I'm Neil Pan. Join Evan Troxell, Cormac Phelan, and me as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture, which includes all the stuff people don't talk about. Think you already know what architecture is really about? Tune in to find out. It's time for some Arcaspeak. What was that thing we were, uh, that, that was the big Twitter debate going on? It started off as a discussion about um craft you know the i guess craft in our, our profession you know um but it developed into a conversation about whether or not you should have experience before you get licensed the thing that i liked about um the, what came out of the conversation was the dialogue about experience uh-huh. Where you get experience, and, and we even started, you know, finally talking about, you know, the failing of school, you know, right. and and where we have, you know, and, and both of you've taught, right? Yep. Um. So, but you were, what did you guys teach? Did you guys teach? I didn't teach. Okay. I uh, taught. I taught digital media in connection with the design studio. So we basically directly supported design studio with the digital modeling and rendering and just how do you, how do you do everything on the computer for 10 years? That's what I did. So you were, you know, I mean, to be quite honest with you, you're teaching them probably one of the most practical things that they could use coming out of school um, versus uh, in the case of, um, most of the design studio, you know, and, and maybe that's something that we talk about is, you know, what do we, you know, what do graduates actually get out of design studio? You know, one of the things that we're looking for is we want them to think spatially, right? Yep. Um, but we also want them to, I mean, what the profession would like them to do is not only be able to think spatially, but also be able to, um, understand the process i mean from from where i would be coming from on a new hire is being able to understand the 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 process you know how to be able to take a building from you know square one to you know completion and at least understanding and having the uh the connection between what we learn in design studio about thinking spatially and all these different types of of ideas and actually you know almost teach a practical um you know you know like a, a practical a- approach to um uh, let me try to get this right basically have a design studio i mean i guess this is my perfect world 
have a design studio, and we're talking about maybe third year, first and second year, I think we should teach exactly the way we're teaching. Have them understand, you know, the craft of like drafting and sketching and drawing, um, understanding 3D, understanding perspective, understanding of, of space and, and, you know, the, the 3D world of it all and understanding, you know, how to transform, you know, plan section elevation into your 3D thinking. Teach all of that your first two years, you know, and teach it pretty rigorously, but then be able to take that and start to teach um, different, different processes, you know, group work, you know, uh, have a group project that goes the entire, um, the, the entire year that you have a group that you work together on and they work from, you know, SDs all the way through to CDs. And then have, you know, individual, you know, maybe you do third year is an individual project. Then you do a group project. And then if you're in a five-year program or a um, 4-2 prod, you know, a, a 4-2 type um, program where you start to develop, you know, I mean, maybe you're not too concerned in third year about them, you know, understanding code and stuff like that, but you're more worried about them working as a group, working in a team environment. Because we're always going to be working in a team environment. Even the people who are self-practitioners, Neil, name one time that you've done a project on your own without an engineer or anybody else. Oh, it hasn't happened. Exactly. So we're always going to be working together. But what we're teaching right now is we're teaching them to work independently. (laughs) And so they come in there. It, at Cal Poly, I know that they they do have some integrated classes where they, they do some, and they didn't do this when I was there, but um, since I've left, they, they've started integrating with structural engineering. And so they do a bridge design and, you know, the architecture students kind of define the form and the structural students come in and basically like you're hiring a consultant and they basically, you know, they do all the calcs. And they figure out what it what works, what doesn't work, what they can do to make it better. And then they basically go back and inform the design and say, here's what you need to do to make this idea work. And then they work together to come up with a solution. And I think that that's kind of what you're talking about, right? It's where you're starting to involve other members into the team that can actually get you closer to reality when it comes down to it. Well, you know, at Auburn, we've got um, as as the name of the school, you know, kind of shows, it's the College of Architecture, Design, and Construction. We have a construction, you know, um, all of our construction managers go through a program very similar to, you know, what we go through. We we always do projects, you know, in our um, structures courses, our statics, um, steel, concrete, all these different um, courses that we go through. We're in the same class with the guys who are going to be graduating and becoming contractors. But there was always this um, feeling of separation between the two programs. Sure. And the problem there is, is that we're going to be spending our entire life working with these guys. And we're not going to, you know, in... We're, for some reason, you know, they're, oh, goddamn architects or, oh, you know, goddamn contractors, you know. And, it, you know, <laughs> that's the last thing we need to be doing is teaching the separation between all of these, you know, these two trades because 
we're going to rely on each other for the rest of our career. Um, you know, and it just, it, it's interesting that, you know, we're uh, separating them. I think that back to the kind of original premise here, though, what, which is kind of the, the gap between education and the actual work environment. Um, you know, I, there is no, obviously there's a really tough problem to fix. Um, and I, I think it's weird that I think that schools and, um, the professional firms out there are bickering at each other. Okay. So the, the workforce is saying, you're not training people who can come in and do the work. And the school is like, well, we need better designers out there. You know, if, if you're talking about design schools, um, so we need more and more, we we need to train these students how to design so that when they get to the workforce, they can learn the practical application of the tools of the trade to become good architects. It's, it's kind of like they need each other, right? And nobody wants to say that. It's like everybody thinks that the school should be a fully developed program in five years. And I could tell you that people who are teaching in design school don't think five years is long enough to teach design, let alone all the other stuff. Um, and that's why I think they only feel like they have time to touch on the other stuff. Um, technology changes so much that all of those programs from the time you start school to the time you get out is a much different picture in those five years. Um, so why, why waste your time teaching all of that stuff where, where students could master Revit well, 2009 see, when they get into the workforce and the program's completely changed by the time they get out? Well, but see, that's, that's the thing though, is that, um, you know, first of all, there's that that disconnect that we're talking about between school and the profession. Um, whereas the school is teaching more or less what they want to teach uh, or what they feel the profession of architecture should be. But that's an accredited university, and who does the accreditation? It's not the and school themselves. And CARB. Yeah, well, <laughs> right? Don't, don't even, yeah, don't even get me started. I, I'm right there with you. I, I totally agree that there's a, you know, I mean, accreditation's kind of a oxymoron, really. I mean, it's just kind of this, um, you know, we're, we, for some reason, don't seem to, uh, you know, one, the profession complains about the uh, the schools and what they teach. The schools complain about the profession not getting involved with um, kind of directing the course of education. And until those two actually kind of marry up with each other, we were going to continue to have that problem. Um, but I mean, I, th I think with, you know, tech, you know, going back to the uh, issue of technology, though, you can teach a bit of tech. I mean, you can teach them the technology. And I mean, rather than going through the effort of, you know, just having them I mean, take a seminar course of um, Revit. I had to take, you know, as part of our requirement, I had to take a um, 3D modeling, which at the time was 3D Studio. Um, and then I had to take a CAD, um, a CAD type drafting pro, uh, seminar. So I took AutoCAD. I mean, that, that's what they were teaching at our school. And that's what I had to take to graduate. Um, if you teach those, like say, starting in third year, you know, going back to this kind of, you know, teach the uh, teach things um, like drafting and, and hand sketching and all of the other things that we normally teach in first year 
understanding, you know, your spatial parameters, all of this stuff. Teach all of that in your first two years. Really get to, you know, I mean, make it a boot camp for understanding the spatial qualities of a building, understanding how to translate things from 2D to 3D. But then as you're closing out your second year or maybe the first quarter or first semester of your um, third year, you start to, you know, require them to start learning some of the digital programs, um, CAD, Revit, things like that, and integrating that into the tools for studio. So you still keep teaching them design studio, but using the digital as you know, basically the final format of what you you know what the what you're going to be presenting. Well, you know, and when then, when I was in school, they they did teach a little bit of AutoCAD, um, but I mean, it was it was the most simplified thing you could ever. You know, we were drawing everything by hand, and well, but and you you even said you know teach them how to draw in first year. We never they never once we we never had a drawing class. Really? You were just expected to pick it up and learn it. Just like making models. They never did a modeling class. You just had to learn how to build real physical models on your own. And I kind of feel the same way that same approach should be with digital modeling. You know, it's a tool in your toolbox. You figure out what's best for you and you learn it on your own time. Well, and then we teach the classes that actually let you, you know, like AutoCAD or Revit, something, a tool that you can actually use in the workforce. That well, is an accepted tool. Now, see, when I was in school, though, Cormac, Cor- um, when I was in school, I mean, we we actually did have a drawing class. We had several of them in our first year program, our first year of our program, um, back in the dark ages. You know, everything was done by hand, and we were taught the basics of uh, perspective, how to generate a perspective. Um, not that I could remember how to do it now, but all the different things that you, that were involved in that. And then we were also taught in addition, I mean, we were taught how to letter. Um, and all that happened mm-hmm. for and me in high school. Really? Yeah. I mean, I but, did some of that see, in high that... school, but none of that, I mean, that was first year stuff and just the basics uh, of not, how you do things. But because people are coming from different paths into architecture, you know, you've right. got transfer students. I mean, here, you know, I'm a great example. I mean, I I did some drafting in high school, but I went from high school to the army, and after I got out of the army, I went into architecture school. So anything that I did learn was long gone. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so you kind of needed to teach everybody. You know, you you it's the tabula rasa. You know, you have they are all blank slates, and you as the professor. Hopefully working with, you know, crafting these guys into what you think is what an architect's toolbox should have in it. You, you've you got the blank slate. You're the one who gets to, f- to fill that slate with what you think they should have. And, you know, we had uh, 3D perspective drawing. We had 2D drafting. Um, we had watercolors. Uh God, we, I mean, we had so many different courses. I mean, we did, we did model building. Um, we also did, um, <laughs> we had this one course and it might've been in a studio as part of a studio, um, class, but we actually had to make molds to make bricks, make basically like about a thousand, you know, miniature bricks that were like maybe 
you know, an inch by inch and a half. I mean, it was just these like minute miniature bricks Mm -hmm. at, at the right, um, scale to a normal size brick. But we had to go through the process, the tedious little process of making each brick and then making a model using all of those bricks. (laughs) And it was, I mean, you know, we were all sitting there, oh, this is so tedious. But the thing that I actually appreciated about that process was, is that we were learning that each brick, you know, that we put, here's me reflecting now, you know, what, 15 years later, here's, you know, my opinion about what that was, you know, back then I thought it was just, it sucked and my hands hurt and I really wish that we didn't do it. Um, But reflecting back on it, all of those courses that I learned, um, the hand drafting and everything else taught me that each line meant something. Each brick meant something. Yeah. You know, um, how to translate your renderings, like, you know, in our watercolor classes, how to translate those um, into the next step of the process and moving on and on and on up the ladder of the process. You know, everything, you know, so. You know, it's almost like ditch the computer for the first two years. We're going to spend the rest of our career on the computer. Um, ditch the computer. Teach them the basics that every one of us, you know, well, you learned in high school. Uh, Neil, you learned in college, and I definitely learned in college. Teach them all of the basics that we've kind of gotten away from because we were like, well, you know, we don't really need hand drafting because we're going to be doing it in the computer. But if you teach them hand drafting, like, and, and I'm going to say this till I'm the blue in the face forever. If you teach them basic hand drafting, you will, that person will learn and appreciate what each line means. Cause, you know, until we build off of the model, it's going to be a 2D uh, plan. And just like I just in, encountered um, probably about a week ago or even, you know, maybe just four days ago contractor called me up and said you know hey it looks like you've got furring on this wall but there's no wall tag what's it supposed to be well yep i actually drew a you know series of lines and when we were going through the tagging process uh since we were doing it all in revit somehow um a lot of the tags in in one particular room got turned off you know you turn you know you turn the view on and you could see that they were all there, but for some reason it got turned off. It, so what we what we failed to do is we failed to like tag what all of those lines meant. But you know we sat there and we drew them, and then when you look at it, you're like, "Yep, it should be this." And then you kind of, you know, yeah, we, we, had, we don't have that problem when we draw by hand. By the way, yeah, there, there's no layers well, that we get did, turned off. Actually, <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's actually a good thing, though, is but because when you're I guess the point that I'm trying to make about that, you know, and I kind of, sorry about the little tangent there, but the point that I was trying to make is we drew all of the lines. And if you know, and you only drew the lines you needed. And if you drew only the lines you needed, um, at least when you're looking at the 2d, uh, you know, printout of your rent of your Revit model, you at least say, okay, I'm showing that that wall's furred out but I'm not showing the tag. Let me do my red line and, and tag it. That, that is, you know, a type H wall or something like that. You know what I'm, you know where I'm going with it, you know, that we needed, you know, 
you need to understand that whereas somebody who's not learning all of this stuff when they see a line that's drawn in revit and it doesn't have a tag on it they don't really know what it means you know they just think that it's a really fat line or a really skinny line yeah well it's about the graphics yeah exactly you know and but we build off of the graphics we construct our buildings off of those graphics so we need to understand how to translate those graphics from the line we draw to the you know the actual stud wall with you know five eighths inch high impact drywall and what all of that means yeah. you know i mean so so that's why I think that you know us seemingly abandoning all of the you know hand drafted media to go straight to the digital media it's yeah, it's almost ridiculous to do that. And, and this is truly my opinion here. Well, let's be yeah. honest, though. I mean, there is a lot of buildings now that are built that 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 utilize digital fabrication techniques that can't. You know, they're almost impossible to draw by hand. You know, if there there's a video, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes by shop architects who are constructing things in the computer in revit whatever in rhino and using grasshopper whatever it is that there is no way you could do it by hand and they're even taking their drawing sets to a level where um and it's it's super super interesting they actually will have all of the the shop drawings come right out of the model everything is detailed to that level they'll even have it where the stuff that's coming off the cnc or off the laser cutter 4,000 unique individual parts that have etchings on them that tell the fabricator how to weld it and how long to make the weld, and it's etched right into the part. But and see, I mean, there's, there's things like that that can be achieved. And so I, I don't think that, that, that the argument between hand, you know, analog and digital is black and white. Well, no, no, no. That, that's that, truly not what I mean. What I mean is during your education process. Teach them how to do it by hand because then it's, it's you learn the meaning example. behind it. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect example is what you just said. There's no way that you could hand raft a lot of the details that are coming out today, especially um, with these specialty programs that are doing things that are hooked directly up to the CNC machine, 3D printers, and stuff like that. But at least you're, you, at least you have the process to understand. You know, I mean, it's it's a translation of spatial thinking as well, though. You know, when you're drafting everything by hand and you just can't quite get it, you know, I I will immediately revert to like say massing something up and they sketch up a Revit to kind of understand what I'm trying to get at, move move it around, you know, do my 360 views and stuff just to try to make sure I get that what I'm what I was trying to do by hand. Um, before I input it into the computer, you know, then I've, I've got it right. And then I can ma- say, print out a couple of views, sketch it up real quick, go back to the computer, work out those details yeah. and, you know, kind of go back and forth. I totally work that way. Yep. But when you're, but when you, when you don't understand how to start with the sketch, you're never going to really understand how, what the limitations or the, um, abilities of the 3d modeling programs are going to have um you know because you don't truly you're not fully aware of 
what all of the um, spatial requirements are of what you're trying to work out. Yeah. So you really don't know how to work them out in the computer. You just, well, you know, the Revit drew this window, so that's what I think this window should look like. You know, right. oh, no. You know, when you look at it in elevation, you're like, oh, that's nothing like what I wanted it to be. Yeah, I think you're um, right about going back and forth. That's a big, I, I do that all the time, and I feel like that helps me develop my understanding of the space even further. Because that's really what it's about, right? It's, you know, I there's I posted it on my blog last week where I was working on the inside of this theater. And, you know, I built a real dumb model. Then I printed out some views. I sketched on top of them. Then I, I it helped me form my understanding of the space, of what I wanted exactly. to achieve. And then I can go back into the model and I can start to develop that further. And then I'm going to print out a couple more views and I'm going to sketch over the top of it again and reformulate and then do it. And it's this process of back and forth um, the people who scare me are the ones who never pull out a sketchbook, you right, know? Right. And I feel like, you know, something I, I would like to talk about is that one of the detriments that I've seen with, with digital modeling is when, especially on these larger projects where you've got lots of buildings that are coming together to form a campus or, you know, a grouping. Um, I think one of the problems that I see happen all the time is that what the modeling environment allows us to do is work in this vacuum. And, you know, this yes. is something that we talk about at work between, you know, my friends and me. It's, it's, it's like that can be detrimental because somebody's working on this piece of the building over here. And, and, and you know, then you bring in the whole work sharing thing in Revit where multiple people are working in the same building at the same time. And, and again, they're in their own worlds. And you see this thing coming together that's kind of a Frankenstein. But, um, you know, what SketchUp or, or any 3D modeling application allows you to do is spin this building around endlessly and look mm -hmm. at it from any view. Um, but rarely are you taking into consideration the context that is right next to that building. Exactly. And exactly. rarely are you focusing on a particular task where when we were working on drafting boards and I was working on a performing arts building, I could focus on the lobby and I could... I could draw just the lobby at a larger scale to understand what's going on with the handrails coming off of the stairway and the planter and the way that the curtain wall comes together with the columns. And now if I'm in Revit or FormZ or SketchUp or whatever, and I'm spinning this model around and I'm looking at it from this view and then that view, and it's kind of this never ending movement. I feel like we're not even able to just sit and think about something, right? It, it ha we're looking busy. And we're, we're trying to develop the whole thing all at the same time to the same level. And I feel like a lot of opportunities are lost when we're doing that. Well, how much of that is just, you know, you got to take a step back and, and look at it. And like you uh, mentioned earlier, you print it out, you sketch over it, or, you know, you, you learn how to focus uh, or you try and learn how to focus. Now, that doesn't necessarily address the, the issue of... Um, you know, uh, one person working on a part of a, a building and another part of a building and, you know, everybody's kind of not talking and such. But, you know, I mean, that's, that, you know, to a certain extent, that's part of the process. I mean, you go, you work on on a portion of it and then you kind of bring it back and Come everybody back sits down. Yeah, everybody comes back together. Oh, okay. Yep. How, or, or you discover things through that process, too. I mean, that also... Uh, not only something you do in school, but uh, in the workforce, you know, in the office. I mean, okay, you go, okay, how does this work? Oh, we're not really sure. 
Okay, let me go back over to this person who's working over on that portion of the building. Hey, how does this interface over here? And and then you just, you know, and that's just a part of the process. And you go back and you do that. And, um, you know, Cormac, that kind of a little bit goes back to what you were talking about in school about making sure everybody's working together, you know. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And yeah. I th- I think that that would be great. I mean, we had some classes at uh, Cal Poly in San Luis where we did work as groups. Um, in fact, a second year design course, um, where we broke, uh, we started the course, I think working individually, uh, to develop, um, actually it was kind of an interesting course because we started at the beginning creating a, a family of characters and we designed a house for those characters. Um, and then we had to write bios about them and, you know, who are these people? And what are their wants, their needs, and things like that. And then we designed a house for them. We all kind of did that as an individual project. And then after the first two or three weeks of doing that, we then kind of uh, chose who we wanted to work with. And and then we had a, a larger site. I said, okay, now you've got four families. They all own this site. And now we have to integrate them all. And so it was a really interesting process because now we had to take our individual uh, people that we had created and then put them on a site and design houses and or some people did a large community building and other people did smaller individual houses that all fit together on a lot. But it was a great process because the, the whole quarter, except for the first maybe couple of weeks, we had to work as a team. So there were four of us with, you know, multiple families and, you know, somewhat make-believe characters that had different wants and needs and desires and um, really very interesting. Now, in that case, we weren't bringing in outside type consult, and there was no engineering involved, or no you know landscape or construction or anything. But it was just four architects all having to work together to create you know something that would all come you know work as a whole. And then we presented it at that way, and and that was a real interesting way to kind of figure out you know. Something we talked about in our last podcast, you know, who, who's doing more work than the next person. And, you know, what was interesting was that for my group, we all pushed each other and we all worked together pretty well as a team. But the interesting part was that was a second year design course. Um, and we worked so closely and so intense for so many hours together in that second year design class. I don't think we ever spoke to each other after that class. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, you know, it ruined that, us. <laughs> I'm 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 wondering why that is though. Um, you know, because you know, we were kind of talking pre-show about the um the the, the basically the long time, you know, the lifelong collaboration that we're going to have for the rest of our careers. You know, not only with our fellow architects, engineers, contractors. I mean, we're all going to be collaborating because that's the only way you truly get a building done. Collaborate with the client, collaborate with the building officials. I mean, collaborate. That I mean, that is the one word that um, I, I don't know if it's preached enough in architecture school. Um, and it has to be. It should be. I mean, well, look at- like you. Look Look at the NCARB tests. I mean, those things are testing you, assuming that you're going to be the sole practitioner. Exactly. And, and, and so they are feeding right into that. Well. Because that's see. kind of the, I mean, quote unquote, worst case scenario, right? 
well, you have yeah. to be able it, to be know, able to do this by yourself. And and maybe that and maybe when you test that way, um, maybe that's good because you are trying to ensure that that one particular individual is competent enough to be able to, you know, essentially take the liability, sign and seal a set of documents and, you know, create and have a building built. So if in the worst case scenario, that one person is only going to work with themselves, then you want to make sure that they're competent enough. So we're, we're using the ARE and the NCARB, you know, model as a way to, you know, at least ensure that that one person is competent enough um, to 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 practice, um, you know. And, and like we were talking about a little bit earlier, is that you know, and this is something I don't really want to get off on a tangent on now because I I, I really like where we're going here. But you know, it, it's you know when should we be testing? You know, how much experience should be re- we we be requiring when we test? But let me ask you this: now we we had. Um, at Auburn, we have the rural studio. I don't know if either one of you are familiar with the rural studio and what yeah. Sam Mockby did. Yeah. Well, w- what that was is that that was an opportunity starting in second year to be a part of a collaborative design build effort where we find the clients, an actual breathing client, design in collaboration with that client. Figure out how the project's going to be funded, whether it's through donated material and labor or whether or not there's, you know, some kind of like grants out there that they could get the the money for. And then actually go through the process of creating enough documentation to build the project and then build it. So it's a, a it's an, an, a year long studio. And at the end of the year, not necessarily the. Um, Second year students are actually building something, but they're being a they're part of a team that actually goes from soup to nuts, um, you know, constru- you know, design to construction. And the thing that we liked about that now we've had several. What's different not programs. to like about that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there were there were several different programs at Auburn. There's the there's this um. There's one that we have that's in town, in the actual uh, city of Auburn that um, we basically are running in conjunction with Habitat for Humanity projects like that where the you know we work with Habitat and um, in fact it's called Design Habitat where we um, you know we pull we pull everybody together we do the design work we do all of the build work um, what that's teaching them is. When you're drawing a line, what does that line mean? When you yourself, who drew that line, are actually swinging the hammer to construct that line, what does that mean? Yeah, that was that's an awesome program, by the way. I I didn't know that they had that. I think that's great. It's free labor, but you know what a great educational tool. Well, you know, in and in that particular case, the great thing about that studio, and if you get an opportunity to go to the website and take a look at the actual work that's being done there. Um, a lot of people worry about, well, you know, if you teach them tectonics too quickly, they're going to get so bogged down in making it buildable that they're not going to, you know, that design is going to suffer. And that's not the case. The thing about it is that I truly believe um, programs like that 
and just the need to early on understand tectonics and how things go together is that you need to, you're never going to be able to design outside the parameters of what your building material can do. And we can clearly see that you can do damn near anything with some building material. I mean, Frank is a great example. Um, you know, any, any of these people, you know, that you can go down the list of all these different architects who stretch the building material further and further than we thought was humanly possible. So teaching people tectonics too early to me just seems like a cop out to the bigger issue of our, you know, should we be, te- you know, <laughs> Should we be teaching design separate from tectonics in the first place? Well, and, and um, when you're doing design, you know, I did design build for a few years with a with a partner of mine, Iggy, and and we had a we had a great time designing to a point, and then continuing to design as we fabricated. Right, and and I think that you know we're definitely caught up with the separation of the different segments of the building industry to where you know it's it's basically ruled by litigation um Mm -hmm. and and that's been detrimental right because now our drawing sets are three times as big as they need to be (laughs) because it's 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 all cover cover your ass and then you totally miss out on those opportunities to innovate while building by doing it that way well, I think there's also something lost in the collaboration process as well. I mean, through the engineer and and the architect, uh, at least when when I was doing production homes, I mean, we designed the house, throw it off to the engineer, and you know they would do their thing, and then we'd get it back, and it was done. And there was very little communication that happened between the two. Occasionally, we would get a setback, oh, okay, or get a call, you know, hey, can you move this window over a few inches or something? Uh, to, you know, okay, so that, you know, we eliminate a beam or something, I can put a post here and everything will work. Uh, But, you know, sometimes that collaboration wasn't even happening. And so then when it goes out to the field, they complained or when it got uh, priced by the home builder, like, wow, why is this, is this house so expensive to build? Well, because, you know, quite honestly, there was no collaboration. And that was started with litigation. I mean, because, before, when I first started, you know, there we would do a lot of the structural drafting, and that gave us some opportunity to collaborate back and forth with the engineer. And then through litigation, um, you know, it was like, no, 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 you guys do your own drafting. We don't want to be a part of that. Uh, we don't want to get sued for your drawings, essentially. And um, I mean, you you sort of still get wrapped up in it, but if your name's not on it, there's some separation there, and. Uh, and I think there's a breakdown. I mean, that one of the things I did when I worked for a national home builder as a you know a project, I don't know, a forward planner essentially. And but one of the things when I took over the kind of architectural development in our in our division was very first thing when when we started a project was okay. I brought in the HVAC guys, the plumbing, the framer, uh, the architect, the engineer, uh, you know, er- everybody I could think of was in a kind of a, a big kickoff meeting. You know, when we maybe we had some preliminary designs done. I was like, okay, Mr. Engineer, where's your comments? Or hey, can we run HVAC through here? Can we run plumbing through there? 
You know, where, where, oh, I need that beam change different, or I can't run through there. So a lot of these problems, you know, some of this is being dealt with now digitally, and that's great. Um, but at the time, you know, we, we none of us were, were that far along. So uh, we kind of had to talk about it. But we all got into a big room. And we dealt with these issues because if we didn't, the alternative was we were dealing with these issues all standing around a house that's completely framed. And I was like, okay, uh, well, gee, you mean now, you were you, know, you mean you were pointing fingers at that point? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. There were definitely lots of finger pointing going on, and who's paying for what? And uh, you know, those are really uncomfortable conversations to have out in the field. So, um, you know, I I think that that has hurt the profession, and I think it. It like Cormac said, you, you, like you said at the beginning, um, you know that we're we're taught to work individually, and and there needs to be more collaborative. And this this program you're talking about sounds like a great way to you know bolster our our our, our education to uh, you know to teach that collaborative process, and that you know what you draw on the page or what you model ends up being what you what you build, and it means well, something. Well, I think one of the other things that's missing, you know, you know what you were talking about with, uh, you know, the coordination meetings and stuff like that, you know, that clearly should happen, you know, on any and every project of, of almost every scale, um, you know, just because you, you know, you're wanting it to be, you know, a complete project you know, where you fully thought everything out and you, you crossed all your you know, crossed all your I's and dotted all your T's and stuff like that. So, you know, you've gotten all that stuff done. But You are an architect, aren't you? Exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't say I could spell. <laughs> no, but, the th you know, and, and Evan, you, you were saying this, um, that one of the things that this kind of separation of our professions has created is a lack of creativity and kind of a lack of, of understanding the tectonics. Um, where the great thing about, you know, these drawings back in, you know, back in the day when, you know, you go and you find like, say, a, a Frank Lloyd Wright set of documents for Unity Temple. I mean, we, you know, I, I bring that up because, you know, I had an opportunity to see those documents and how little, how small those documents really were in comparison to the complexity of the building that's actually there. And it was because, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright had an understanding of how a building went together and could stand out on site and orchestrate the construction and detailing on the fly. And well, the yeah. thing about it is that we don't do is that, you know, we want them to hold tight to the, um, you know, to the budget. We want them to hold tight to the, de you know, design documents. And if anything changes, whose fault is it? Yeah. Who, 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 who designed this window this way instead of that way? Was well, like, well, you know, the window still looks the way that your design wants to. It's just we decided to build it a little bit differently to make it easier for construction, but also, you know, you know so being able to sit down and, and I actually appreciate and love um, the opportunities that I have out on site when I'm doing CA to learn from the contractors and sit there and say, well, you know, okay, here's how I designed it. This is what I want it to look like. But let me ask you, is there an easier way to build it and still make it look the same way that's going to be able to have, you know, the plumbing, you know, pass through uh, the structure without, you know, 
any problems and you know you just just go through the brainstorming idea of how are we going to get this thing built yeah how are we going to maintain maintain the you know life safety qualities of it how are we going to make sure it's still code compliant blah 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 and all this other crap you know i mean we're when we constantly um lose the ability to create the collaborative effort um with you know to bring it back home you know bring it back to where we started this conversation when we lose that ability to collaborate we're losing our ability to learn yeah you know and and that's what's yeah. that's what's kind of killing me here is that you know um we when you should... look at it from an attitude of i know it all and then exactly. follow and these it... documents exactly and then the contractor's thinking well i know it all he's doc and there's nothing right about these and and then it becomes this headbutting scenario I, I mean, I feel like it. The best situations that I, the the most fun I had doing design build was problem solving in the moment, building it. Exactly. Because you could not have foreseen this condition that showed up. There's no way. And so it's an opportunity at that point. It's not something where you're going to look for somebody to blame. In, in that scenario, you don't have anybody to blame, and that's not even something that pops into your mind. Your what you're thinking is. Okay, how do I figure this out? And that is a that's definitely the biggest takeaway I have from working with my partner. He was so good at that. Okay, well, okay, we could do this three different ways. Here's how we can do it. And it was like, how did you think of those three different ways so quickly? But he was just so had such a knack for problem solving in the moment when when something came up, it was that was like a, like you said, you like to learn from the contractor when they can come up with an idea. And that's totally what that scenario was for me. And I, I totally agree with that. Learn, you want to be in a learning-based scenario as much as possible. Well, you know, something else that, that uh, ties into this a little bit is a, a recent project that I was involved in. And, and this is kind of a, approaching what we're talking about from another way that, that sometimes this can be beneficial um, to the building process. And, and where I'm going with this is that uh, I was involved in a project to do a remodel, a fairly large scale, high end custom home remodel. And, you know, we were just getting into the process and talking fees. And, you know, the client was getting a little nervous about that and what it was going to cost. And they just started to talk to a JC or GC, that uh, general contractor, that is, who was familiar with the area that was going to provide. Everything, architecture, engineering, landscaping, and the construction. And where I'm going with this is that their total fee for all of this was essentially going to be much, much lower. And that got me thinking to, you know, and this goes back to a little bit of the design build process, because that's essentially what they were going to end up doing, um, is that it can bring your, your cost down on the front side so much because. I mean, we were approaching it as, okay, we're the architects and we, we have to do X and we're not going to make any money on the construction or the markups of the materials or anything. So we have to make our money doing the drawings and doing the design and being involved in that process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were approaching it where, okay, we need to save as much money as possible. And if these guys are going to do this project all inclusive for a cheaper fee, where they will make their money on materials and, and appliances and things that they can mark up later down the road, they can give away the design or the architecture, you know, not for free, but certainly at a much lower cost than what we could provide it. 
And that gets me thinking to the future of our our profession. And it is is that more the future, or is that does that need to be more the future of our profession, where we do get more involved in designing and building our either our own projects or projects where we partner with other clients on, so that you know we can we can make money on the back end or the construction side, and not have to make all of our money just on the front end. You know, where where in this case, it hurts the clients. I mean, they're going to spend a lot of money doing design. They'll probably end up with a better design, in my opinion, but uh, for different reasons. But, um, you know, I, I'm just wondering, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. And, and But I think that affects, you know, uh, what we're talking about a little bit is that the costs can can be affected by this as well. Well, I think it depends on how much control you want to have. You know, I think a lot of times that, things get marginalized throughout the process. And once it leaves your desk, you don't have as much control over that as you'd like. And so I think, yeah, I think a lot of people do want to start looking in that direction. I, you know, I know a lot of people have been, and then I also know architects who don't want to have anything to do with that. So, you know, I don't think it's, it's again, it's not black or white, but but for those of us who do want that, that control to the end, you know, where you are taking control of your craft all the way through to delivery, then yeah, you have to look at that. There's no but other see, way to do it. But see, that kind of points out the problem, you know, and it's kind of a, you know, having control of your project all the way through, you're not necessarily talking about, I want, you know, I want to have this kind of overbearing, you know, egotistical control. You want to be able to ensure that you're involved with the project throughout yes to ensure that the quality of the design translates through to the quality of the construction and that you know you're involved with any decisions that might change or alter it not necessarily because you know you're kind of like this egomaniac that needs to control it but you're you want to ensure that the final product is exactly what everyone was hoping for yeah. Um, but there's a lot of times when, you know, we've got the, you know, as everybody, you know, seems to peg us all as this egotistical, you know, um, overbearing type profession that, you know, it's the architect's way or the highway kind of thing. I don't think this is necessarily what nine tenths of this profession is about. It's making sure that we get, you know, the quality of work from design through construction all the way through so everyone not just the the architect but the contractor the um you know the owner everybody's happy because you know when you get that level of satisfaction you know at the end of the project then everybody can use it as a marketing tool you're most likely going to get in a repeat business not only from say the client but also from the contractor who will say well you know i had a great experience working with Evan on this project or Neil on this project, they delivered service, you know, above and beyond what we normally expect or what we were going into expecting from an architect. And I want to use them again, you know, so it's that, you know, it's that service with the smile, not service with vinegar. (laughs) But, but Cormac, sometimes what you, you mentioned, everybody's happy. Sometimes, uh, what your client is happy with isn't necessarily in line with what you're going to be happy with. And I know I, on an earlier podcast, I I referenced a project I did where um, 
the stucco guy decided that the trims needed to be different. And he just changed them. And you know, the client was happy with it. So they're happy. The contractor's happy. Every, you know, and then mm-hmm. I go and I'm very sad because it's <laughs> well, but, it's, but see, it's not what I intend it's not what I intended. It's not what I drew. It's not what I envisioned. It's not yeah. what they thought they were gonna originally get. And it watered down the design. It changed the design. And suddenly that that marketing tool I was hoping for, it's like, yeah, I don't think I'll be photographing this project. Yeah. But see, that's what I'm getting at is that that wasn't a collaborative process. That was a cut no, me a lesson process. You know, um, I mean, we, we talked about it that you weren't involved with basically the CA process. You just right. you handed over your design documents and, you know, with them not including you in the CA process, you, you know, essentially it was you're going to get what you get kind of thing. Um, and you were never actually, you know, fully kind of like involved with the, you know, with it all. So, right. It, you know, and that's the thing is that, you know, um, how do you make a fully immersive, fully collaborative product project? You know, I, I think a lot of times they cut us out of it because of the financial factor. They think, well, oh, yeah. you know, Neil's going to be too expensive to have as part of this process. So we're going to cut him out of it. But nine times out of 10, what happens is, is that if they involve Neil in the process, then Neil would be there to um, be able to maintain the quality control, maintain the compliance to the documents, or be there to kind of troubleshoot any changes or any unforeseen conditions that, you know, could either catastrophically cost the owner a crap load of money or just, you know, you see, I mean, you know, we're, you were cut out of the, you know, the process of quality control. Well, not only that, but in addition, I'm also cut out of the education process. I mean, there's probably mistakes or things that happen on that right. project right. that I'm not aware of. I wasn't involved. I wasn't paid to be and I can volunteer my time. I can go there. And I did do that a couple of times and, and learned a couple of things. Oh, okay. I screwed up here. Uh, don't do that again. Um, or try not to, but, but you're cut out of that education process too. And I wonder how much of getting back to our architectural education, we talked a little bit about, uh, or, you know, when we started, which is, you know how I, I mean, I did take at Cal Poly. We did do kind of documentation. I mean, we went through the AIA documents, and then of course studied more of that when I got out of school for my license. But uh, I wonder how much of that needs to also be involved in our education. You know, go through that and have us have a better understanding. And this goes back to our Twitter conversation earlier this past week, where you know how much or how because. I think if I had talked about some of these things in school, which I know we did in that one document class I took where we had to do, we had to write a contract and enter into a contract with our professor and stuff like that. But you know what? Because I didn't have the experience, I didn't understand half the stuff we were doing, you know, in retrospect. I mean, I could read it, I can kind of get it, but without the experience to kind of draw on, I, I didn't really fully understand it. And that our Twitter conversation was about that, was uh, which involved a number of people jumping in at different points. But, uh, you know, when should you get your license and stuff like that? But it's like, 
without that experience, then part of your education, uh, you, you, you don't understand it as well. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's, uh, that was a, a big topic. I, I don't know if, if we should start talking about that at this point. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, probably not. But, uh, it just, it's, it strikes me as, as, um, you know, something that, uh, as part of our architectural education, how, how can we learn to avoid, now we're not going to learn to avoid all of these, uh, different, uh, aspects of our career during our education, because, you know, maybe five years or four years of a degree is not enough time to cover everything when you're trying to learn some of the basics of the foundation of our, of our profession. But, uh, um, there is a, there is a connection between, you know, learning on the go, um, and, and how much of that you, can you, uh, front load into your education? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that you know, again, that's another, that's another topic, but, um, or it's it's just a lot longer conversation. Well, I mean, actually, every time that we, you know, go through you know these conversations, I think probably a hundred different topics come up that we could you know either run off on a tangent or you know save for another day. So, I mean, I, I think in relationship to the what we were talking about with that kind of Twitter ranting that we were doing and, and Twitter conversation that we had, uh, you know, I think that that might be a different topic altogether it's just you know we we did address some of the i guess um i don't know if we want to know if we should call it educational shortcomings but just you know maybe now that we've been in the profession as long as we have you know we would like to see education you know geared a different way to prepare students you know future architects more you know, and you're right, four, four, five, six years really isn't, you know, isn't, you know, we, we just don't have the time to really kind of, uh, you know, bring all of the, you know, all of the different kind of like pitfalls and everything else that we've kind of learned throughout the, the time. And, and, and hell, even that even goes to, you know, whether or not a professor should be somebody that has, you know, X amount of years of experience before they actually teach. I mean, you know, that, that's a different rant altogether. Um, well, yeah. But... And I, and also, I mean, one, one of the things that, that, you know, I definitely experienced when I was teaching was you've got students of all different abilities in there. Exactly. And if that's not one of the hardest things to deal with, you know, one of the things that I like to talk about with people is learning without a speed limit. You know, I wish there was no speed limit as to which I could take on the stuff and learn it. Um, but when you're in a situation like that, there's there's definitely a speed limit, and it's definitely probably lower than you want because of all of the different abilities of people in there with you. And so, I mean, that's if if that's one of the most frustrating things about teaching, and and I would think that that's probably one of the biggest reasons why, because there's going to be people who can say five years, heck yeah, you should be able to learn it all in that time, and then there's other people who are teaching in those scenarios, thinking, man, how am I going to accomplish what I want to accomplish in five years? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like, like I said, I mean, you know, you, you almost have to treat the early years of architectural education as a boot camp, you know, break it down. This is a basic training you've got in basic training. You've got so many different people coming from different walks of life with different levels of ability. 
and different levels of, you know, understanding certain things. So what they do is they break everybody down to zero. Yep. You, they assume you don't know. Exactly. (laughs) We had to unlearn our bad habits. (laughs) Yeah. They, I mean, they break you down and build you back up to exactly what they want you to be. And in a way, that's sort of what I, I, I would almost say that any profession should do that. Because then you have this level of, you have a baseline level of competency that you have with everybody in, you know, in the profession that you know that education has prepared them for, you know, at least the bare minimum stuff. It's, it's, it's like designing to the code. You've designed the bare minimum uh, structure, but at least you know that that bare minimum structure is competent enough to continue to stand. Well, one of my you know, one of my most memorable experiences came in my first or second week of school at Cal Poly, and my professor said, "You know, we we're going to be working really hard to break you of all your bad habits, and we're going to basically have to you're going to have to unlearn what you've learned since kindergarten. And one of the most detrimental things that you learned in kindergarten was that you have to color inside the lines." <laughs> and I thought that was an eye-opening experience for me as soon as I heard that. All right, let's uh, let's save some more of this for for next time. Um, so for all of you still listening, uh, you can follow us on Archispeak on Twitter. That's A R C H I S P K, and you can follow along with the show on ArcaSpeakPodcast.com, and that's all spelled out the way you uh, the way that it sounds. ArcaSpeakPodcast.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at E-T-R-O-X-E-L. And you can follow me at N-P-A-N-N on Twitter. And you can follow me at Archetype, A-R-C-H-Y underscore T-Y-P-E on Twitter. Cool. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.
Oh, you can bet I know, I know